Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. haven't had the pleasure of meeting before. My name is Kimra. It's been said a few times. I feel the, the opportunity to actually tell you how my name is actually pronounced because there's a silent B in it. It's Kimra. I feel like that will be a good moment for me to have the opportunity to correct that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been part of this church now for about four years. My husband, Isaac, and I, who is uh, tapping away on the cajon, have called this church home for four years. We've been floating around the vineyard movement for about eight years now as well. Um, and it's a really great privilege to be here to speak to you this morning. Uh, so if you're just back from holiday or if you perhaps are visiting us for the first time, we are on our third installment of a series we're calling Summer in the Psalms. When the idea of doing a talk on a psalm was first floated to me, my original instinct was really wanting to pick like a really niche psalm and like blow you away with um, some never before heard revelation from an obscure corner of the Bible you'd not yet discovered. However, the one I've ended up landing on, as has already been revealed, is probably one of the most beloved psalms of them all. It's among the most famous passages in the entire Bible. Um, So... Uh, I'm really excited to speak on it, but it's going to be one of those messages that you maybe have heard a little bit before, but I hope it's going to hit you fresh today. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes find that uh, when I'm going to one of those scriptures that I've heard repeated a lot, or it's really well quoted, that it can I can sometimes glaze over a little bit. Um, I find it can be more of an intentional thing to bring myself to uh, a passage that I've maybe heard repeated since I was a child in a fresh way. So uh, what I wanted to do to sort of help us engage with it afresh um, is to take a moment in the intentional presence of God as I read the passage over you. Um, If you haven't heard this before, you've probably actually got the advantage. Um, The Psalms are beautiful pieces of literature, and they are designed to be read and reread, sung, prayed through, meditated upon as a community. So by closing our eyes and meditating upon this passage together, we are doing something that's been done for thousands of generations, and I'm trusting that with the Holy Spirit's help, words and phrases will jump out and speak to you afresh today. So if you could maybe just close your eyes where you're sat and just allow yourself to focus and block out as much distraction as possible and just take a moment now to redirect your attention toward the presence of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Would your presence fill this room? Would we encounter your presence now as we um, hear the words of, of Psalm 84? Just keep yourself in that place and I'm going to read our passage for today. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. 
my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Amazing. So I'm going to be talking today about the presence of God. I'm considering today as a little bit of a health check on one of the most important invitations of Jesus, the invitation to a life spent enjoying the real, tangible, accessible presence of God. I want to start by asking you a couple of questions as a little bit of a barometer for where you are on this at the moment. So the first question is, have you experienced the presence of God before? If you have experienced the presence of God before, when was the last time you did? In a dramatic way or a gentle way, is it something you would consider to be part of your everyday life? Not just a rare occasional experience. So what I'm going to do today is give, spend a little bit of time giving you a little bit of context to help you situate Psalm 84, delve a little bit of, into the language of the psalm and what it's giving us as sort of the right way to feel towards God's presence, and then talk a little bit about the how and the why of spending time with God. So I don't see many Bibles open in front of me, but if you did have your Bible open in front of you, you may have noticed that Psalm 84 is credited to the sons of Korah. You can read into the backstory a little bit more in Numbers 16, but by way of a very, very brief summary, Korah was a man who led an uprising uh, uh, to challenge the right of Moses and his brother Aaron to the, uh, to the priesthood. To cut a long story short, moving in contempt against God's appointed did not go down well, and in Numbers 16 it says that the ground literally opened up and swallowed up Korah, his co-conspirators, and all of their households. But we later learn that the three sons of Korah were spared and that God works redemption into the line of Korah with the incredibly important prophet Samuel arising from the line seven generations later. The Korites became doorkeepers and custodians of the temple. So they were people who spent a great deal of time serving in the temple, which at this time would have been God's chosen dwelling place on earth and a concentrated uh, expression of his manifest presence. When this psalm says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, it's coming from the hearts of men whose ancestors had lived in wickedness and rebellion, who had experienced the redemptive hand of God over their line, and now spent their days serving at the temple, preferring to be in God's presence. 
During the reign of King David, the Korites became leaders in choral and orchestral music in the tabernacle, so they were perhaps our equivalent of modern-day worship leaders. Eleven psalms in the Book of Psalms are attributed to the sons of Korah, one of which, by happy coincidence, will be talked on by Will in a couple of weeks' time. The psalms are beautiful poems and songs marked by great longing and deep devotion to God. If you come across a psalm when you're reading that gives language to a longing like no other for the presence of the living God, it's highly likely that it's attributed to the sons of Korah. Now, from being really honest, when I was reading this psalm, when I landed on it as my subject for today, I was really struck how challenging elements of the language of this psalm are when they're read sort of in reference to how I feel or the condition of my own heart. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul yearns, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. In verses 5 to 7, it refers to a pilgrimage being made to the temple through the Valley of Baca. The psalm is a hymn, but more specifically, it's a psalm of pilgrimage. So it's inspired by those traveling to Jerusalem to worship. It's a song to be sung by travelers as they trek to reach Jerusalem, hearts longing to make it to the temple to get to stand before the very presence of the living God. I love the intensity of the language and the beauty of this obsession and longing for God's presence. But I think it's super confronting to ask myself, does my soul long for the presence of God like that? Do I love his presence to this degree? Would I trek through a valley uh, just for the purpose of being in God's presence and for nothing else? I long for the answer to that question to always be yes. So today what I'm going to get into with the meat of our time together is hopefully to challenge us to simply just love to be with Jesus. Our Father God, our helper Holy Spirit, over and above anything else. To pursue an awareness of the presence of God in our daily lives perhaps challenge us to reprioritize spending time in the secret place with God. My hope and my prayer is that you leave today just desperate to be with Jesus, aware of him as you walk back to your bus stop or your tube station, feeling him in the room as you're caring for your children, and whispering to him as you fall asleep tonight, my soul yearns, even faints for you. In the Old Testament, proximity to God was mediated by the priestly line of Levi. They would perform daily sacrifices, oversee annual rituals and feasts, and preside over the most sacred of yearly festivals, the Day of Atonement. This ensured that the people's sins were atoned for and that access to God remained safe and open. All of this took place in and through the temple, so this would have been the lived reality of the sons of Korah, our psalmists. Today, though, our access to the presence of God looks very different from the, from the temple sorry, being referenced in Psalm 84. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who the New Testament refers to as our atoning sacrifice, humanity's access to the presence of God is assured once and for all. In fact, it says in the moment of Jesus' death that the curtain of the temple that was used to separate people from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom. Instead, what Jesus has established for us is holiness worthy of hosting the very presence of God. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? We are now the temple. 
the very presence of God dwells inside of us, his people. Do you know how crazy that is? To help us appreciate, or perhaps I know I need to re-appreciate how out of this world crazy that is, I'm going to take us on a brief trip back to the book of Exodus. So in Exodus 19, after the Israelites have been led from slavery by Moses, the Israelites come to the wilderness of Sinai. And it says that the presence of God descends on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. The passage says that there was thunder and lightning, thick cloud and trumpets blasting. It says that God's presence descended on it in fire and that smoke was pluming and that the very mountain itself trembled. It says that God then called Moses up to the mountain um, and God went, and Moses, sorry, went up to speak with him. And that sounds completely terrifying to me. Incredible, but completely terrifying. It says that they had to set limits around Mount Sinai because if the people so much as touched it, they would die. Moses was the very first person to come face to face with the presence of God since Adam and Eve in the garden. After their exodus from Egypt, the Israelites wandered the desert living in tents. And it says in Exodus 33 that Moses would set up what he called the tent of meeting and pitch it far off from the camp. And in Exodus 33, it says that whenever Moses would get up and go to the tent of meeting to meet with God, that all of the Israelites would get up and go and stand at their tent doors to watch him do that. As Moses was in there, it says a pillar of cloud would descend over the entrance of the tent of meeting and that Moses would speak with God just as a man speaks to his friend. Moses going to be in the presence of God and speaking with God in that way was completely momentous to the Israelites. There are hundreds of thousands of Israelites in this camp and they are all stood at their doors worshipping and praising God at the sight of one human being being able to be in the presence of God and talk with him in that way. We cannot lose sight of our, the gift of our access to God's presence. Considering his holiness, the kind that makes mountains tremble, it makes no sense that we have this kind of access, but we do. We get to walk with God, to have an access to him that the sons of Korah never had if they could celebrate and rejoice in the presence of God in the way that they did when they had only the temple, how much more should we be rejoicing in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, in God with us and in us? How could we neglect his presence? What justification have we for getting so used to the idea that his presence is always there and accessible for us, that we lose sight of how precious and deserving his presences of the lion's share of our attention. I've come up with a little modern-day parable to help illustrate my point, um, and I'm calling it the parable of the sofa and the flip-clock. Earlier this year, myself and my husband Isaac bought a new sofa, and I was like out of this world excited about it. <laughs> up to this point, we'd had this small little sofa bed that creaked whenever you sat or moved slightly on it. Um, and we finally ordered this thing, and it took months to come, and I was so, so excited. And the day finally came, and I was literally beside myself ecstatic. When I say that I, I did not move from that sofa for about a week, I'm really not exaggerating. <laughs> But, and pardon the very bad pun, but I am Isaac's wife, it just became part of the furniture. I got used to it, and 
it just lost its magic for me. And I sit on it now and I don't really give it a second thought at all. Isaac, by contrast, <laughs> by stark contrast, has this little Bosch sort of analog flip clock and he just loves it. It's his one thing that he just is obsessed with. When I say it, I walk in the room and catch him just staring at it. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> this one time our friend came round and picked it up and turned it upside down to take a look at it and I could literally hear the breath leaving Isaac's lungs <laughs> as he looked on helpless. He's had that clock for eight years and it's just never lost its magic for him. Maybe you can relate to that experience in some way. I think it's really easy to get a little too used to our access to the presence of God. If we're not careful, we can lose our sense of awe and wonder at the immense privilege it is to be able to turn aside and chat with the living God. I think we should be a little bit more like Isaac and his flip-flop when it comes to the presence of God and less like me and my sofa. If we are going to be effective for the advance of the kingdom of God, we need to know God. And I mean really, really know God. Our friendship and intimacy with Jesus is the title thing that will influence the fruitfulness of our life as one of his followers. A cup that is overflowing spills out into the world and the people around us. The gravest mistake that we can make is to neglect the presence of God. Jeremiah 2 notes down a prophecy coming to Jeremiah from God about the Israelites who at this moment in time are rejecting God. And in verse 12, a conversation is documented between God and the heavenly hosts, and it says this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God is essentially turning to the angels and going like, are you seeing this? Can you see what they're doing? Are you shocked as I am at the way they're behaving? And he's pointing out two mistakes. They've mistaken me. They don't want to come up the mountain to meet with me. And they're digging for their own water instead of coming to me to drink. Our own willpower can only take us so far. We can fake it and force it, but I guarantee you we will end up empty. We weren't designed to do this without him. We were designed to walk in the garden with him, to breathe in his breath, to talk with him, to lean on him, to live in proximity with God. Distance from God does not lead to life, and it certainly doesn't lead to a fruitful one. We love a God who loves us immensely deeply, who is jealous for our hearts, and Jesus wants to be our addiction not just a nice add-on or an occasional indulgence. Our society and culture is pressing us to relegate Jesus to just an accessory to our lives rather than the central thing, consistently attempting to pull our affection in other directions. But we are called to think like the sons of Korah in this psalm, to be consumed by the longing to be with God, to long for eternity where we get to spend forever in his presence, just staring at his beauty and glory and his presence uninterrupted. It almost feels like a bit of a crime these days to do a talk on the presence of God and not talk about Brother Lawrence at some point. Um, he quite literally wrote the book on loving the presence of God. 
If you haven't heard of him before, Brother Lawrence was a 17th century monk who served as a cook and cleaner in a monastery in Paris. He had a very lowly position in the monastery, but he became well known for his intimacy with Jesus. Um, and after I first heard about him in a sermon a few years ago, I went off and bought his book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's a compilation of his writings and letters. And in it, there is this amazing quote, and I just love it. And it says this. We must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of him. And when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. I love what this is describing of the way that love and knowing is intrinsically intertwined, a sort of feedback loop. We need to get to know him in order to love him. And the more we love him, the more spending time with him is our natural driving desire. And therefore, the more deeply we get to know him and so on, so on. The first and foremost command of Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. To me, that suggests that I'm playing an active part in this relationship, in continuously loving him and knowing him more and more each day. To really love God, to foster the kind of deep, intimate, meaningful relationship with him that I'm sure many of us in this room desperately want, will require time in his presence. What deep and meaningful relationship in your life doesn't require time together in order for it to thrive? And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he is like no other friend you'll ever have. Even if you've neglected to meet with him, he will be as eager to sit and talk with you as though you've been as faithful a friend to him as he's been to you. It doesn't have to look a certain way, but go up the mountain regularly. This is an anecdote about Susanna Wesley that I've heard shared many, many times, and maybe a few of you have too, but it's never quite lost its potency for me. Famously, Samuel and Susanna Wesley had many, many children, two of which were John and Charles Wesley, who went on to become two of the most notable evangelists who have ever lived. And it was a known thing in their household that when Susanna, their mother, had her apron over her head at the kitchen table, that she wasn't to be interrupted, because that was her sanctuary. They were moments she was spending in the presence of God and amongst the chaos. In different seasons of life and different times of the day, the way we draw near to God will vary. It could be choosing to get up a little earlier and spending an intentional period of time in quiet with him. It could be going on a walk in the park where you pray and talk with him. It could be singing to him as you do mundane and mindless tasks. It could be pulling your apron over your head at the kitchen table for a moment alone with him. I'm not going to attempt to prescribe what that should look like because I couldn't possibly speak to the variety in this room. But whatever it looks like, go up the mountain regularly, as regularly as is possible, for short, fleeting moments throughout the day in long, uninterrupted times set aside for him. Being in his presence is what you were made for. We have a life here on earth to live, but the way in which we were designed to live it is in proximity with him. Prioritizing his presence and loving his presence passionately. I'm gonna invite the worship team up if, if that's okay, um, as I close. My prayer for us is that we would grasp 
for the first time or again, the immeasurable gift it is to have this access to the presence of God. That you wouldn't be able to get him out of your head. That God would never be diminished to a concept or an intellectual idea by us. That we would know him and experience him every day. There's a passage in the book of Matthew where Jesus is talking about the moment where at the end of our lives we come face to face with him. And he says that some will come to him and hope to get into the kingdom of heaven by their good works. But he'll say that he never really knew them. I thought of this passage when I was writing this sermon, not because I think I'll get there and he'll say he doesn't know me. I I don't think that. But what I want for us is the absolute polar opposite of that. That when we get to that moment, that as far as is possible in this life, that nothing about him surprises us. Because we knew him so, so well. Because we spent our life prioritizing and passionately loving his presence. I want to invite you this side of eternity to get as close as possible to him. To spend your life prioritizing and enjoying his presence. I'm just going to pray now. If you really want to stand whilst I pray, and we'll spend a little bit of time enjoying his presence as we worship. Hmm. Jesus, we love you. We love your presence. You are so worthy of the lion's share of our attention. Would you come now, Holy Spirit, and encounter us afresh? I just believe that if you haven't had an encounter with the presence of God for a while, or ever before, that God really, really wants to encounter you this morning, that he wants to meet you with his presence. Holy Spirit, would you come? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.